This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Thanks for joining us for the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. My name is Leslie Bennett, and I co-host this podcast with our family church lead pastor, Jimmy Scroggins. Today, we're throwing it back to one of our most popular episodes from the last year. We hope you'll enjoy hearing it, whether it's for the first time or to glean something new. Stay tuned for other new episodes coming soon. Welcome back to all of our listeners. I hope that you're enjoying the season on developing your church culture. I'm here again with our Family Church Communications Director, Leslie Bennett, and a very special guest, my good friend, Coach Chris Hobbs from the King's Academy here in West Palm Beach. And we're going to be talking about coaching in your church culture. The title of this podcast is Coaches Not Bosses because we don't really want to relate to one another at family church in some kind of hierarchical system, some autocratic system, but we do want to evaluate one another and speak into one another's lives. And so we like to coach and we believe in the power of coaching. That's right, Jimmy. And it's going to be a great conversation today with Coach Chris Hobbs because I know he has a lot to contribute to this conversation and talking about coaching as a style of leadership. So, Chris, could you introduce yourself to our listeners today? Yeah. My name is Chris Hobbs. I'm the Director of Athletics at the King's Academy here in West Palm Beach. I'm also the varsity boys basketball coach there. King's Academy is a pretty unique place with about over 50 teams. Uh, We'll have about 700 athletic events this year. Uh, We've got coaches on our staff, almost uh, 60 of them that range from professional athletes to former college coaches. We've got uh, some pretty impressive facilities, a strong social media presence, our own website. So it really is kind of its own tiny organization. I'm certainly blessed to kind of serve as their director of athletics there. Building up, I've been in Christian education for about 20 years. I've had three different schools I've worked at. There was a little pit stop for three years as a student pastor where I was ordained by the uh, Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia. So there's some people very uncomfortable with the idea that others know me as Pastor Chris or <laughs> the country. Uh, and uh, along the way, picked up a master's degree in sport coaching from the United States Sports Academy. I picked up what's called a CMAA, which would be the athletic director version of the accountant's CPA, and then have a specialist degree from Liberty University in educational leadership and writing my dissertation right now uh, to complete my doctorate at Liberty. And the dissertation happens to be on the uh, leadership behaviors of athletic directors how they influence coaches. I'm married to my high school sweetheart, three kids that are 16, 14, and 12. I'm a pretty strong personality. My wife's double as strong as I am. So (laughs) apples and trees, you can imagine how entertained we are raising our children. And uh, just been blessed to be around some really, really powerful leaders. Probably didn't even know they were having the impact on my life that they were. My father's been a Christian education leader as far as I can remember my grandfather was a Baptist pastor and then my college basketball coach had a massive impact on my life as well. So those three individuals just kind of symbiotically gave me this impression that you're supposed to lead people. And so that's kind of my background, my experience. And then I've had some opportunities to kind of study it at a high level and apply it to the, the atmosphere of athletic departments and schools. 
Yeah, and I personally am grateful to you, Coach, because you also coach the Scroggins boys. So you've coached four for of those me boys. Yeah, you need a lot of prayers. Because coaching the Scroggins boys is a unique challenge. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. I'm trying to do it myself and every day, but I'm glad that you are pouring into their lives. So it means a lot to me personally. And I actually have been so impressed, Coach, with the way that you create culture on your teams and in the athletic department at the Kings Academy. It's personally had an effect on my children and my family. We've benefited from it. And so earlier this year, I asked you to come and speak to all of our leaders at Family Church. We had a retreat in Orlando and you spoke to about 70 of our leaders and you trained us, you coached us on coaching. And it was one of the most effective and exciting, really, speakers we've ever had at any of our retreats over the years. And our feedback was tremendous. And so we wanted to talk to you today on our podcast so our listeners could hear. So coach, why don't you give us a really good definition of what a coach is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of ways to lead. And I believe one leader has to lead a variety of people in a variety of different ways. So Dr. Jeff Myers in his book, Cultivate, talks about what he calls relational gestures of leadership. And he uses the acronym of MFACs, which would be mentors, friends, advisors, coaches, teachers, and sponsors. And these are all relational gestures of leadership. Coach is one of those relational gestures. And I do think that there is unique value in leveraging the leadership relational gesture of coaching, but you got to know exactly what coaching is and exactly who is eligible to be coached by you because not every single person you'll lead can be coached by you. Uh, they'll require different things. So the definition of coach that kind of comes out of that study and then some of my personal experiences, some of my own studies uh, would be an individual that receives permission to hold a person or persons accountable to move toward a mutually agreed upon objective that benefits everyone involved. And so the athletic analogy makes that really clear. Obviously, winning benefits the coach and the players, and they're all leaning hard together to make that happen. And then there's a lot of layers that go into to all that. And I love that definition when you gave it to us at our retreat, an individual that receives permission to hold a person or persons accountable to move toward a mutually agreed upon objective that benefits all involved. Man, it transfers so well to any kind of organization. Don't know, you think, Leslie? It makes Leslie? me think about what we talk about or what you've talked about a lot, which is about pressing into those who press into you. Oh, yeah. So, you know, obviously when you're on a team, you've received permission because I've joined your team. Therefore, I've given you permission to coach me, but it's a little different when you're in life and in church life. You kind of have to see who is pressing into me, who is giving me permission to speak into their life and to coach them. Yeah. And one of the things that Chris does is at the beginning of every season, he meets with the parents and we all have to sign a document giving him permission to hold our sons accountable. There you go. And and uh, it's such a powerful thing that he does. It's symbolic, but it's real. He has a sign, you know, my signature is on a document. So when he holds one of my kids accountable, which is uh, often, yeah. uh, <laughs> I've already given him written permission to to do so. So, so Chris, a little bit here, I just want to make sure we're clear to all of our listeners. Uh, the Scroggins boys are taking a little bit of a beating right now. One of the reasons <laughs> I'm at Family Church is because I was so very impressed coaching the Scroggins boys. Uh, they have a warrior spirit. They are coachable. They run a little wild at times, which is much easier to coach than kids that yeah. you have to kind of encourage to get out there and make some things happen. The Scroggins boys are always out That's there making right. things it's more, happen. It's easier so. to direct a moving vehicle. 
vehicle than yeah, to get absolutely. somebody jump started. Well, they're right? moving, so. that's for sure. And I am proud of every one of them. Hey, Coach, tell us a little bit about how coaching happens, given that definition, yep. and how we can use it as we lead and coach in our different kinds of organizations and how our listeners can use it in their churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for all of our leaders out there, as you're just pondering, you know, what, what people in your organization and in your church that you might be able to potentially coach, a couple things do have to be uh, present in order for that to happen, if you will, a recipe uh, in order to coach. Uh, the first thing is that the individual or the group has to choose your group, you as a leader. They've got to choose your objective. They've got to choose. And that willing choosing creates vulnerability that opens them up to being held accountable, to being coached, you know? And so using the athletic analogy, uh, student athletes will choose a team because they want to be part of that group with their friends. Maybe they'll choose it because they love that sport. They love the objective of trying to win on a football field or on a basketball court, or they may just absolutely love the coach more than anything else, but they will choose that group for one of those reasons, the people they're with, the leader or the objective. And so as our, our church leaders out there listening to this, that would be one of the ingredients that's necessary uh, the next one that's got to be present is the leader has to make a personal investment of time and energy into the group and the pursuit of the objective. Uh, there are people in our churches, in our organizations that when they fail, you're not going to lose sleep over that. And I don't say that callously or to undermine it. It's just the more people you lead, the less you feel their pursuit of success on some level or another. But trust me, in an athletic analogy, when a young man or a young woman fails on the court of competition, that coach lies awake at night thinking about, boy, how can we do that different? How can we fix that? What's the problem? And there's a personal investment on their part. And so if you're not feeling the victories and the win and the losses on the part of certain people in your organization, don't feel all that guilty about that. Just know it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to coach them according to some of the things we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. The next ingredient has got to be that there has to be very clear objectives for the group. And they have to be clearly evaluated. And this is the authentic pursuit of winning that makes sport leadership so easy, right? The scoreboard just clarifies everything. If you won, on some levels, you were successful. If you lost, on some levels, you were not successful. And you're going to feel that. And it's all very, very clear. And I think that's why our, our society continues to love athletics is because in, in a day and age when there's so many things that are not clear, <laughs> you know, right. the, scoreboard are, clear. the scoreboard is very, very clear. And the, the final ingredient there is that there's got to be, if you're going to coach your people, there's got to be an antagonist present or there's got to be a conflict that has to be engaged. And this really perpetuates, if you will, in many ways, the glue to this entire experience. And that is literally the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And you, you can't have that if there's not some type of antagonist present. There's not some type of conflict that has to be engaged. Um, educators in classrooms are doing incredibly important work but they're not coaching those young people because no one's in there trying to flick the pencil out of their hands. Right. You know, there's no antagonist, you know, there's no conflict to be engaged. Right. And so classroom leadership is incredibly important. It's just a different relational leadership gesture than coaching is. And so as you're looking at your people in your organization, if these things are present, if these ingredients are in place, they're probably prime people that would be very willing to be coached by you. Well, I tell you one thing that I love that you just said, the difference between classroom leadership and coaching is such a, that's such a powerful uh, truth. And, and, and I think that that for our listeners at church, for the rest of us, some of you guys are pastoring and leading churches and you're thinking of yourself like a classroom teacher. You're delivering content. You're hoping that they absorb the content, retain the content, maybe put it to use somehow. That's a totally different mindset than a pastor sees himself as a coach. And I guess what I would just say to everyone listening, if you are the lead 
pastor of an organization or if you're a leader of any segment of a church that that you want to grow and you want to become more effective and more powerful, you've got to see yourself more like a coach and less like a classroom teacher. And again, nobody thinks more highly of the preaching event or teaching event than I do. It's vital. It's part of the nourishing construct that God's put together for churches and for Christians. But coaching is how you move people forward to a common objective. It just it just is. And I think that mindset is so crucial. And I think that common ad- objective in church is obviously that we're wanting to win the loss. Yes. And sometimes we lose sight of that big vision in our day-to-day church operations and reminding that we do have an antagonist out there. Yeah. Because sometimes we, we've talked about this and some of our church partnerships, Chris, and how we've come together with other churches in our community um, to advance the gospel. And we have to remember that we're on the same team. And we're not fighting against each other. And that's really helped us here at Family Church to form some of the partnerships that we've formed to advance that vision and to remind our people we're not fighting against other Christians. We do have a real enemy that's out there fighting against the advancement of the church. So let's keep our focus on who the real opponent is. Yeah, and this is why the Apostle Paul's regular use of athletic analogies is so effective Yeah, because the presence of an antagonist and conflict in athletics is a very real visual to what we're Mm -hmm. seeing on a spiritual level. And it won't take our church leaders out there very long at all to sit down and think about the conflict that they have to engage or the antagonism that they have to to overcome in order for their their organizations, their cultures, their their congregations to reach that common objective. Yeah. Coach, one of the things that you said on our retreat is you said that you have to get you try to get your players to repeat the things that you want to see repeated. Talk talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I really believe that there is a huge return on investment when you celebrate whatever it is you want repeated. And so that that's there's there's two things that I think intentionally have to go in there. You got to think really clearly about what you want repeated. There's a lot of things that are worth repeating, but for each and every church congregation, for each and every team, for each and every organization, there are certain things that have a higher yield because of all the dynamics of your group than other things. And so while there's many good things, you've got to choose the best things for your group that you want repeated. So you got to think about that. What do we really want repeated? Uh, and so we've got six things, for example, in our basketball program that we want to see repeated that we call evidence of winning body language. And then for our athletic department, we've got an acronym called STEEP. And this is how we evaluate uh, whether or not our coaches are successful in, in making mission for our athletic department, our mission athletic department, our athletic department mission rather is to provide an excellent athletic experience with eternal impact. And we measure out excellence, right? That word's probably overused. We measure at excellence through the STEEP acronym, selflessness, teamwork, uh, effort, energy, and preparation. If our coaches are making sure that our teams are hitting those points, then we know right there. And those are the things we've decided we really want to celebrate. Uh, we want to celebrate when the kids are selfless, when there's great teamwork, when there's great energy, when there's great effort, and when there's great preparation. And so we, we celebrate those things. So the first thing I do is you got to think about what do you want, really want celebrated? Because it's not hard to get lost in the sauce on everything. Let's celebrate every great thing. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. So you think about that. And then the second part is, okay, how are you going to intentionally celebrate that? One of the things that I could tell instantaneously was super important here at Family Church to be repeated was baptisms because we see a video on baptisms happening like every other Sunday, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we just know here at Family Church that, that that's something that needs to be repeated because yeah. we're celebrating it via really strong visuals you know, very, very regularly. And so for our leaders listening, think about what would be absolutely the most, the best good 
to be repeated at your your churches and then think about how will you celebrate that and it can be celebrated in so many different ways and we could talk an entire podcast just about how to celebrate stuff yeah and the other thing that you talked about that I that really impacted our team I think was you did talk to our team a lot about body language and then something that you called positive touch and I don't want to I guess in the me too era maybe this could be people would be running from this but I think we actually need to run to it yeah. and so why don't you talk just a little bit about this idea of body language and positive touch, because I think churches can learn a lot from this, yep. these these ideas. Yeah. I've had some, if you do anything for long enough, you're going to have some success at it, right? And so, you know, I could humble brag about some of the great things I've experienced Go as ahead. a coach. Knock but, yourself out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> probably the two most valuable experience I've had where I either was being challenged as a leader or I was very aware that I needed to lead at the highest possible levels is the two seasons out of the 16 years I've been coaching varsity basketball, where I had groups that lost 20 games. And uh, uh, there was an old dude that used to hang around the school I was at in New Jersey and just and just watch high school basketball. And he came to me at an all-star event at the end of a 20-loss season. And he pulled me aside and we had just come off a really nice run of a couple years and it was just a massive rebuild. And that old dude pulled me aside and he said to me, he said, coach, winning 20 games is harder. It's hard. Losing 20 games is harder (laughs) and not a lot of programs can do that well. And that was just probably one of the things I'll always remember. And then with Danny Scroggins, one of uh, one of Jimmy's boys, my first year here at Kings, we had a 20 loss season. And that's when I knew I had to be the absolute best leader I possibly could be because the scoreboard was not going to turn out in our favor a lot of nights. Uh, and so that all being said, those, those leadership experiences allowed me to really think through some things. And I had probably a three-month experience with this concept of positive touch but while I was getting ready for my first 20-loss season. Like I could see it coming. Like I just knew- yeah, you know what kind of talent yeah, I have. knew what the talent level was going to be. I knew the talent level around us in the community. So anyway, so I had these three experiences where one, uh, back in 2005 and 2006, Steve Nash was the point guard for the Phoenix Suns. And he's this tiny little Canadian dude. And he wins the most <laughs> valuable player of the NBA back-to-back years. And they do these massive analytical studies at the end of each year. Uh, And one of the studies was, or one of the surveys is, who is the teammate you would most like to play with? And it is almost never heard of to want to play with the MVP. You think about guys like uh, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, incredible talents. They are, they're hard teammates to be with because they drive themselves so hard. They drive their teammates so hard. And what forgives the fact that they're not great teammates is the fact that they're so skilled and talented and they hold themselves to an even higher level. And so it almost forgives it. But that's like the top 0.5% of any talent in any organization, right? And so that's not a great model for us all to follow. Right. We need to follow a model that applies to more 99.9% of us. Steve Nash is a great model. Back-to-back years, most valuable player. Back-to-back years, also the player that other players most wanted to play with. And they started researching this and they found that Steve Nash, from the time his team hit the floor to warm-ups to the time his team left the floor at the end of the game, he would fist bump, high five, or backslap his teammates almost 300 times a night during an 82-game season in whatever that is, eight months. That is just an outrageous number. And all of a sudden, they began to talk about this idea of positive touch. I'm reading in John Calabari's book maybe a month later, um, a, a tremendous book, really increased my respect for John Calipari and how much um, he really believes in what he's doing for his kids. But he talked about how every time he walks play past his players on campus, he grabs them grabs him by the elbow, puts a hand around their shoulder because he said, and this just blew my mind. He said, when I touch them, it removes doubt 
and instills belief. Mm. And that just that just shook me. And then maybe a month later, my pastor up in New Jersey at the time when I was living up there, uh, Brent Haggerty at Stonecrest Community Church, tremendous preacher, pre- delivered a sermon on the place of touch in Christ's ministry. And so these things are all hitting me in about a three-month span. And I just became firmly committed that one of the fastest ways to nurture culture and to create avenues for which you could coach people, as long as all those other ingredients in place, is positive touch. And so I hope I'm known at the King's Academy as the dude most likely to give a high five or a fist bump <laughs> right. with my guys. You know, it would be a bro hug, you know, and then obviously being appropriate with young ladies, it's high fives, fist bumps, things like that. My administrative assistant, Kelly Fogelman, uh, who also happens to be a church member here, I high five Kelly every morning when I walk in the office, right? Because yeah. it's just positive touch. It just has an incredible, incredible effect on people when it's mm-hmm. when touch is used appropriately. It's so good because I remember one of the things you said at the retreat that really impacted me is that the scoreboard isn't the only measure. And so some of these things that you're hitting on today is how, you know, we have measures too at church. We have metrics, you know, attendance, giving, baptisms, like you said, but that doesn't always speak to culture. And so the importance of having that culture among your team, among the people in your congregation that has that positive impact, regardless of what the scoreboard looks like. Yeah. I mean, right now, Jimmy, you've talked about we are on the offense, which right. is nice right. at Family Church. So we're enjoying this time of being on offense, but we have haven't always been that's there. That's true. And the culture has to transcend what's yeah. happening in your church. I think that's so important, Leslie. And a lot of our listeners, look, um, a lot of you guys are in medium-sized churches, smaller churches. Some of you are going, even in large churches, you're going through a really lean season right now. Like uh, Coach Hobbs said, maybe you're just looking down the pike and some of your key givers have left the church or moved out of town. And some of your key leaders are frustrated right now. Or you've had staff members that have left you and you're having to rebuild and you just know that things aren't going to be that good for a while until they get better. It's just like that on an athletic team. It's not any different in church. I remember hearing Rick Warren say years ago, hey, look, in church, you better get used to the idea that sometimes the tide's going to roll in, but then sometimes the tide's going to roll out. And that's the way it is in life. And I love the idea that culture can be built even in the difficult times and culture can sustain you through difficult times and culture can propel you forward into better times. And I think this idea of coaching and evaluation and building culture and positive touch and positive body language is so powerful and it trans it, it, it translates so well from the world of athletics into the church world. And so for all of our listeners, I want to I want to just say to Coach, I'm glad you're with us today. Uh, Leslie, thanks for joining me. And uh, we're going to have another podcast with Coach Hobbs. And you tune in next week, and we can hear more about how coaching works in the church world. So be sure to tune in next week. In the meantime, our listeners can go to sharperconference.com and register for Sharper 2019, where you can come and interact with us at Family Church in person on creating a thriving church culture. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.